think about the words as I read them to you on that second, well, even the first verse. He says, I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at his command and all the stars obey. The second verse says, we sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food. He formed the creatures by his word and then pronounced them good. Lord, how thy wonders are displayed where'er, my eye, where'er I turn my eye. If I survey the ground I tread or gaze upon the sky. And uh, boy, the, the, if we survey the ground I tread, that's actually what we're going to look at tonight. Uh, the little creatures that God designed. And, uh, and I'm amazed. I, I have always loved and appreciated uh, nature and science and the, the creatures. And I look at them and, and I'm amazed because I think to myself, and I know this, but I think to myself, God created these things. And, uh, and sometimes, sometimes I really do wonder, I, I think to myself, now why on earth did God create a flea? Now what was the purpose of that? Now I don't know. Or maybe more so like a wasp because they bite and they're not, uh, uh, they're not friendly and, and uh, they don't even give you honey, all right? At least a bee gives you honey, but a wasp doesn't really give you honey. So, uh, so I scratch my head and I don't have the answers to those. So don't write that as a Bible question because I'm telling you right now, I don't know the answer to why God created all those things, okay? Uh, but, uh, but he did. And, uh, and I'm amazed at how God designed and created everything. So in Proverbs chapter 30, we're going to look at these a few verses. Proverbs chapter 30 in verse number 24. It says, There be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. The conies are but a feeble folk, yet make they, make they their houses in the rocks. The locusts have no king, yet they, yet go they forth, all of them by bands. The spider taketh hold with her hands, and is in king's palaces. And uh, let's stop and let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. God, we thank you for your word that, uh, that speaks to us time and time again. God, thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that we have to pause uh, in our life and take time out of our busy schedules to focus on you and focus on your word. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. I pray that you'd touch each and every heart uh, and we'll thank you for that. And God, will be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. Before I get into the message this evening, I do want to say this as well. Last week, um, I made a mistake. I said uh, in verse number... I did not. Verse number 21, it said, for three things, the earth is disquieted. And I said, I said that that was quiet. It went quiet. It actually was not 
quiet. It actually made noise. And I gave the illustration of a ball game, how so a player falls and a hush falls over the gym. Uh, this would be more like a bad play and, uh, and everyone gets mad and they scream and they're like, boo, that was a bad call. And, they, and the whole place just blows up and erupts with noise. So it was actually the reverse of what I explained, but the outcome is still the same, it, that people are upset, people are, uh, are stunned by what has taken place. And so uh, I did not I did not give you that word properly last week, so I apologize about that, and I wanted to straighten that out, so I uh, just want to let you know that. But as we get into this week, and as we look at these uh, lessons, really from nature and God's science lesson, uh, I want to note something that's different between these verses, uh, verse 20. Four that we read down through 28 and the preceding verses. You'll remember last week we looked at some unusual verses really and, uh, and some unusual things as, as we looked at those and, uh, and those verses there was not an application given with the, uh, with the verses. In other words for in verse 21, we'll take that since we uh, pulled that one. For, for three things the earth is disquieted, and four which it cannot bear. So the application is in verse 21, and then the four items are simply an illustration of that one item. So he says, for a servant when he reigneth, and a fool when he is filled with meat, and an odious woman when she is married, and an handmaid that is heir to her mistress. And so it gives you some things. And so they illustrate the point that was made in verse 21. However, here in verse uh, 24 that we started, he gives us wisdom, but then he gives us an application in each one. Look at verse 25. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. And so he gives us uh, a little lesson wrapped up in every little illustration where the verses preceding, uh, they did not do that. The, the main application was in one of the primary verses and then with each illustration there was not an application. So it's just a little bit of a difference between the two as you read those and, uh, and, and study those. So I just want to point that out and hope that that uh, helps you a little bit in, in understanding some of these. So look with me in verse 24 as we go forward. It says, there be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding Wise. So there's wisdom that we can pull out of each one of these illustrations that he gives us here. And, uh, and we take verse number one and he talks about the ants. He says, the ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. Um, perspective of strength. The ant here, as we look at the ant, uh, there's a perspective of, stre of strength. He says, are, are a people not strong. But, uh, but if you think about an ant, you think a lot of people, they, they boast of how strong an ant is. Matter of fact, it's really quite amazing. If you look at an ant, it is able to carry uh, well more than its body weight. Matter of fact, I was reading, and it really depends on the ant species, but all of them are able to carry more than their body weight. And some of them can easily carry up to 50 times its body weight. Now... That didn't make a lot of sense to me, so I broke it all down, and uh, I'm going to give you an illustration. That means if you weighed 100 pounds, 50 times your body weight would come out to 5,000 pounds that you would be able to carry around. 
Now, I can't do that, obviously, and I don't weigh 100 pounds either. So, uh, so I'm saying that is, that is a lot of weight. They are certainly strong in that aspect. Uh, if you put that down on our terms, uh, a midsize SUV weighs about 3,000 to 5,000 pounds. So that would mean you could go out and pick up a, a, a one of the SUVs in the parking lot and carry it around if you only weighed 100 pounds. Now, if you weighed 200 pounds, you'd be able to go pick up two SUVs and carry them around the parking lot. Okay, that's the same scale and perspective that an ant is able to carry in its body weight. Now, you know an ant is small. I mean, you go down, you look at them, and I love, uh, my, my dad taught me a long time ago. He said ants are amazing creatures, and they build their little, their little dirt, dirt habitats above the ground. And, and he said, watch this, and he takes a little stick, and he, and he pokes it. You make sure they're not fire ants first, okay? Don't do this in fire ant areas. Uh, and then it's your problem if you do that, okay? Um, but, uh, but he poked it and, uh, and pulled the stick out. And man, those ants come out by swarms. And, uh, and you sit there and you watch them and they will completely reconstruct their little dirt mound uh, and repair that little hole and then they'll go right back down in it. And it's amazing to watch an ant. And they, they're able to carry all their body weight, but they're small. And then think about this. How often in the summertime... Do you step on ants and kill them and don't even think about it? You don't even realize. I mean, you don't even hear them crunch, to be honest with you. Uh, they're just, I mean, they're gone. And you don't even think about the fact, oh, I just killed an ant. Uh, and so uh, he says here in the passage, the ants are a people not strong. And, uh, and certainly, if you look at them on their scale, they are strong. But when you compare them to us, and yes, they can carry 50 times their body weight, but they can't carry a human around because we're far bigger than them. And one step squashes them. And as you think about that, we as people, we see ourselves as strong in our own eyes. I mean, we consider ourselves strong and, uh, and we can do this and, and people uh, try different feats. The Olympics are going on and that's to prove who's the, the best in the world at one category or some category or some other thing. And, uh, and there's all kinds of categories that man is constantly able, trying to prove himself as strong and capable in that area. But you think about this, we're just a speck in God's eyes. On the earth. We see ourselves as strong, but God sees us as small. And it's perspective, it's all how you look at it, and it's all understanding. And the wisdom in this verse is, is the perspective with which you look at it. And, uh, and they're not really a strong people, and we're not really a strong people either. The second thing that you pull out of there in verse 25. Yet they, are, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. We see the perspective of strength, but I want you to see as well the preparation in summer. And the commendation is, is given to the ants for their preparation because they take the time uh, to sit out, to, to gather all of the things that they need. Have you noticed, maybe today you saw one because it's 50 degrees out, but have you noticed you haven't seen any ants lately? Where are they? They're all down under the ground. They're hibernating. That's what they're doing. I don't know. Maybe they're having a little party down there. I don't know what they're doing. All I know is they don't come out because it's too cold. 
And, uh, and so they stay in, in where it's warm. And I presume that maybe they're eating that food that they had stored up. I really don't know. Uh, but but uh, we know this, that the Word of God is commending them. It's praising them. It's telling them, hey, they did a good job because they laid up preparation during the summertime. And so when, when they do come out of hibernation and, uh, and they, they, uh, they're ready and they're hungry, hey, they've got food right there. Okay, they don't come out like a cranky bear and, uh, and attack things that, that, uh, because they're starving. Uh, they, they've, got their, they've laid their preparation and their food is set up. A lot of times I've heard it described on more than one occasion that if a Christian has something in the bank, uh, that they're not exercising faith in God. But here the Bible is commending and God really is commending the ant for being prepared. And there is great wisdom in preparation. A couple of examples we were studying a couple weeks ago in the adult Sunday school class, the life of Joseph. And during the time of famine, uh, God warned Pharaoh and said, hey, look, there is going to be a famine. You're going to have seven years of prosperity and then seven years of famine. You better lay aside for now uh, while you're prosperous for those seven years of famine that are coming. And so Joseph, he, or Pharaoh rather, he got the man of God that was able to tell him and interpret him the dream that, that took place. And Joseph, being a godly man, made preparation and, and prepared for that famine that was coming. And I'm just saying that you see that throughout the Bible, that, uh, that God is not against preparation. God is not against being prepared for uh, things that are coming. It's not wrong to store up for retirement. It's not wrong to purchase a house. It's not wrong to save up for hard times that may come. Or it's not wrong to purchase insurance if you're able to do those things. Uh, and preparation is admired and praised and commended here in the Bible. However, it is never to take the place of our faith. There's a fine line of balance there. Yes, prepare. Yes, be prepared if you're able to do that. But our faith is not to be placed in those things. Proverbs 21, uh, verse 31 says this, uh, The horse is prepared against the day of battle. In other words, he's saying, hey, uh, all of the soldiers in, in, in Bible times, they would prepare for the day of battle. But the second part of that verse says, but safety is of the Lord. In other words, make all the preparation, yes. Be prepared for that day of battle, yes. Be prepared for those days that are coming, yes, for the hardships that may come. But, but don't put your faith and trust in those things. Your faith and trust must be placed in God. And so we find wisdom in the, in the ant, in the perspective of its strength, thinking, well, I'm all something. And, and isn't that how we do it? Uh, we, we think, man, I've got all my uh, money set aside for retirement. I got this set aside for this and, and I've got it all figured out. But our faith is not to be placed in those things because God may change things. God could easily turn things around. And, uh, and, and then uh, our faith is to be placed in God. We're not as strong and the things that we have are not as strong as we think they are. And God is certainly bigger, but we ought to have Preparation, And I think those are a couple things that we can learn from the ant in verse 25. Go with me to verse 26. The coney, the Bible says, the conies 
are but a feeble folk, yet make their house in the rocks. So we looked about the ant, and now we're going to look at the coney. What is a coney? Uh, coney is only used four times in the Bible. And I'm going to get to what it is, but in Scripture, we find in Leviticus 11.5 and Deuteronomy 14.7 that it is labeled as an animal that is unclean and, uh, and therefore should not be eaten. So uh, that's one thing. I just want us to note that that's, it's used in the Bible four different times. It's used in those two passages saying that it's unclean, it should not be eaten. And then it's used in the book of Psalms and Proverbs. It's mentioned that they live in the rocks. Psalm 104 verse 18 says, The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats and the rocks for the conies. So they, uh, they live in the rocks and they live in the high hills. I thought that was very interesting uh, that they show up in the book of Psalms and they show up in the book of Proverbs. And David uh, was, was Solomon's father. And, uh, and as I started thinking about that, I thought, you know, David at a time in his life had to flee to the mountains when Saul was pursuing him. And I bet he came, uh, he saw those little uh, conies. And he said, man, what are those creatures? And he started looking at them and figuring out, oh, those are, uh, those are little. Maybe he didn't know what they were before that. I mean, he was a shepherd and would take the sheep to green pastures, not to mountain heights. And so he would see them. And then he wrote, hey, those are, uh, those are little defenseless animals that live in the mountains and hide themselves in the rocks so that their preys and the predators cannot get to them. And then Proverbs, Solomon mentions them as well. I just thought that was interesting to note that. And he says, the conies are but a feeble folk and make their houses in the rocks. So same as, as what David said. Well, I got to looking that up because I thought, well, what, what is a coney? Now, I've never seen a coney, uh, and I, I, I've, but I did look it up and I know what it is. I, I was going to give you an illustration in Peru. We had these, uh, uh, sometimes when you travel in foreign places, you see crazy creatures. And in Peru, we did... I, I'm telling you, I, I, I can't remember exactly what it is. I never did learn the name of it. I don't know what it's called, but it was kind of a cross between a squirrel and a, uh, a rabbit. It was just a funny looking creature, and I never did figure out the name, but they lived there in Peru. And, and, uh, and so I'm just saying that to say this, that sometimes there are animals that dwell in certain parts that do not dwell here in America. And, uh, and so uh, that, is, that is clear. Well, the scientific name for a, uh, for a coney, uh, as far as I can tell, is a hyrax, H-Y-R-A-X. It is also called a coney or a daisy, and it dwells in the rocks and is a smaller defenseless creature. And it lives over in, uh, in Bible times, in the Bible areas over in that area of the world. And we don't, they don't live over here. Uh, but uh, as, so that's what it is. It's just a little creature. It kind of looks like a, um, maybe a squirrel without a tail. Um, He's he just a little rodent kind of creature and, and just lives within the rocks. And so that kind of gives you an idea of what he's talking about. So he says here in verse 25 uh, or 26, the conies are but a feeble folk, yet make their houses in the rocks. And, uh, and as you think about the coney, they're, they're, they don't have any real means of defense for themselves. Uh, they're not able to fight. They're not able to do a lot of things. They're not, uh, they're not critters that can attack. Uh, they're, 
greatest defense is to flee and to go into a, a shelter of a rock. And so you could imagine if they lived kind of in a mountainous region and, uh, and where there's rocks that many of the predators are not going to go up to that mountainous region. They're not going to climb up there. Uh, that's why the uh, mountain goats live in the mountains. They can protect themselves. There's not many predators that are going to go up after them. And so these, uh, these conies, they live up in the, mountain, up in the rocks. And, uh, and we know from Leviticus and Deuteronomy that they're unclean. And as we think about that, though we don't know what they are, and though we don't know a whole lot about these animals, we can, we can learn two things from them. One is that they are unclean, and two is that they are weak. And I thought, the Bible tells us, man, that's like us. Without God, we're unclean. We're, we're not washed from our sins. We are unclean. And then secondly, that we are weak in reality. That kind of goes right off of the ant. Uh, though they see themselves as strong and others look at them and say they are strong in their perspective, they are. But yet, when you compare them to God, they're not very strong at all. And these, these conies uh, are weak animals and they must run into the rocks for protection. Listen, there's a great message there because the Bible says in Psalm 18 in verse number 2, The Lord is my rock. And my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. And I think part of the application that we can see very clearly here is that uh, as the coney is an unclean animal, and as it's defenseless and must run into the rocks, listen, as Christians, we ought to run to the rock of God and say, God, hide me, protect me from my enemies. Help me and strengthen me because I need your strength and I need your grace. And that's certainly a, a lesson that we can learn from the coney as we see this uh, in the Bible. So we learn from the ants. We learn from the conies. Look with me at verse number 27. The Bible says, The locusts have no king, yet they go forth, all of them, by bands. I was looking at that and I remember just uh, several months ago, I guess, in the adult Sunday school class, we were stuck at studying the book of Joel, and, and we covered that of locusts and the plague of locusts. And, uh, and locusts are amazing. I remember looking it up then. I, uh, I, I uh, found a, a video that showed swarming locusts. And man, they just swarm in, and they will devour a field. It's one of the most incredible things. And, and it took place actually here in America, uh, out in the West, uh, I don't know exactly where, uh, several years ago, maybe 2018, and, uh, and they had swarmed in and devoured a lot of plants. And, uh, and so it takes place and it happened in Bible times. And if you think about that, they just desire, devour everyone. I everything. I was watching one, one video and, uh, and the scientists blamed it on climate change. Well, because of climate change, uh, these locusts are coming in and they're swarming and they're devouring something. Obviously, he never read his Bible because the Bible says in Exodus 10, 12, and the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, even all that the hail hath left. Who does that? God does that. 
God brings the swarms of locusts in. And God brought the swarms of locusts into uh, Egypt and devoured uh, everything that was left. In the book of Joel, God brought in those locusts as a form of judgment. And who's in charge? Well, they don't have a king. Uh, locusts just kind of go on their own. There's not one higher than the other or another lower. But, uh, but it's amazing because they swarm and they go in. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 7, 13, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locust to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. Then he goes on in verse 14, it says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves uh, and turn from their wicked way. And it goes on to that verse. But did you catch in verse 13? God's commanding the locust. God's sending them here and God's sending them there. And many times it is, uh, it's unmistakable. I looked up locusts. Locusts show up uh, many times throughout Scripture. And uh, many times it's used in the Bible, the first place is in Exodus, that we see that God was sending judgment uh, on the nation of Egypt and, and destroying what they had left. And, and you find many times it is used as judgment. But I want you to see and realize out of Second Chronicles 7.13 that, that God commands the locusts. And what can we learn from that? Well, he says here in, uh, in Proverbs 31-27, The locusts have no king, yet they go forth all of them by bands. In other words, there's no king here on the earth that's in charge of them, but yet their lives are submitted to God, and God commands that. Listen, Christian, as we read that, oh, how we ought to be submitted to God and follow God like the locusts do. And go where God uh, sends and do what God would bid us to do and, and make our life about obeying God and following God in our life. And I think that's one of the things that's very clearly visible here. But not only that, he says this, yet they go forth, all of them, by bands. You know, one locust come through your yard, you wouldn't think nothing of it. You'd say, Psh, squash that bug, all done, no problem. But you get a swarm of locusts comes through. There's nothing you can do. The guy was walking through the field and he was waving and, and they, were, they, would, they would fly around him. And, and as he walked, they'd go right back behind him and land where he just was. And, and it was physically impossible to get rid of them uh, without, without spraying pesticides all over them because they were, there was just so many of them uh, that they were everywhere. It was, just, it was just incomprehensible, really, unless you've seen it, uh, that they were just everywhere. And I think it speaks to this, that is the unity of work. You take one locust, or you could squash them. It's not too hard. But you take thousands of locusts that are all working together to accomplish the same thing, to devour. They're just eating is really what they're doing. To devour, and they're really unstoppable. Even in 2017 or 18, whenever that was, uh, that I, I watched that several months ago, there was, they, they, they said, we're in the U.S. We're not in a third world country. We're in the U.S. We're not in, we're not in Egypt. They said, there's nothing you can do. You have to wait till winter comes. They'll die off. Spring will come and, and we'll have a new crop next year. That was their answer. They said, there's nothing they could do. And I got to thinking, man, if Christians work together, oh, maybe not in, maybe not in, 
uh, a, a big view, but listen, they, they don't, the, 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 the locusts, they don't conquer the whole world. You know what they do? They invade one section at a time. Man, we get a bunch of Christians unified and getting swarming Maslin, Ohio with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what could be accomplished? A lot could be accomplished. We could get a lot done. One person can't do it alone. But if we work together, there's a unity and there's work that can be accomplished as, as they work together. That is what the locusts do. Look with me at the last one. So we see the, uh, the swarming and following God and obeying God, going where God wants us to, doing what God wants us to do, and then working together with the locusts. But look with me at the last one uh, in verse number 28. The spider taketh hold with her hands and is in king's palaces. Now you're all thinking, wonderful, we're going to end on spiders. I know my, my family's thrilled. They, they can't stand spiders. And, and we had big spiders in Peru. I mean, they were, they, were, they were that big. And they were wolf spiders, and they were really fast, and they'd dart across the room, and they were always in the house, and especially in a rainy season. And, and so we end on spiders. But he says this, he said, The spider taketh hold with her hands. Now, spiders are only used actually three times in the entire Bible. Uh, ants are only used two times. I don't think I gave you that. So only here in the book of Proverbs. Spiders are only used three times. Uh, it talks about the spider's web in Job. It talks about the spider's web in Isaiah. And it talks directly about the spider here in Proverbs 30 and 28. And he says there, he taketh hold with his hands. Now, some of that's poetic. But nonetheless, spiders are amazing climbers. You imagine spiders can go straight up a wall. It's amazing. You watch it. Sometimes they'll walk on a roof and you're like, how is that guy uh, hanging upside down? And that's why Spider-Man became so, so popular. I mean, the Spider-Man that could crawl everywhere, you know, and, and he mimics the whole idea of a spider. We used to come home uh, in Peru and, and during a certain time of year, we'd have these big, big, ugly spiders. And I didn't know what they were. Because a lot of the species down there just weren't categorized. And, and one day I walked in and the house setup was kind of dumb. So you open the door and you had to walk all the way across the room to the other side in order to flip the light on uh, so that you could see what you were doing. So, so I walked in and, and my family always stayed at the door and I walked all the way across and I flipped the light on. And when I did, right beside the light switch was one of those it wasn't a wolf spider. It was different. It was one of those big honking spiders. And it gave me the shivers. I mean, most spiders, I mean, yeah, I'll kill them. Yeah, whatever. I, I, I don't mind. But, but it, was, it was big. And they, would, they, would just, they didn't move fast. He was just there on the side of the wall. And he was big. And I almost hit him with my hand when I flipped the light on. I was like, man. Matter of fact, I got so curious that I actually captured that one, took pictures of it, and, uh, and tried to identify it. I, I never did. I, I put it on a, uh, a board, and, and the people uh, said, said, oh, maybe it's this. And, and then one of them asked, where are you at? And I said, well, I'm in Peru, South America. And they said, oh, forget it. There's uncategorized spiders down there. We don't even know what exists down there. We have no idea what it is. 
I never did find out what it was, but it is amazing they just cling to the side of a wall. They can just hang there, even as big-bodied as that one was, just hang there and, uh, and doesn't, doesn't seem like it takes any effort. And, and science has gotten it down. Matter of fact, they'll take a microscope and look at it, and there's little tiny hairs that actually put out a little sticky liquid that allows them to grip the wall as they walk. It's amazing, really. As I thought about that and I thought about Christians, it seems like the whole idea there is that our faith grips onto something that's impossible. Something that you can't always see and you can't understand and, and yet our faith would hold fast to the things that we cannot see and it would enable us to accomplish things not because of us, not because of who we are, but rather because we cling to God and His strength and His ability. And the Bible says here in verse 28, the spider taketh hold with her hands. And it goes on and it says, and is in king's palaces. You know, there's no stopping them. You'd be amazed. You can find spiders in a poor man's house. You can find spiders in the most elegant. I'm sure that right now in the White House, there's probably a spider. I'm sure right now in the finest palace in Russia or Asia or uh, the Middle East that there are spiders in there. Why? Because the Bible says so. Because they get in everywhere. They just don't stop. They are, they're everywhere. And, uh, and there's no stopping them. And, and listen, our faith ought to be kind of like the spider that, hey, it ought to drive us. It ought to motivate us uh, to, to not allow anything to stop us. The spider taketh hold with her hands and is in king's palaces. So I, I hope and pray that that's just a help to you as you look at some of God's science lessons and he takes some of the, the, the small critters. I was scratching my head about that earlier because as I was looking at that, I figured there was three um, insects or, or insect-like creatures and then one kind of mammal, uh, even though they say that the conies really don't uh, carry their own body heat well, but, uh, but they're still kind of a mammal, and at least in appearance. And, and it's just interesting to look at God's creation and say, hey, he wrote lessons for us in everything that he, des everything that he designed and everything that he gave us. What an amazing God we serve as we look at the science and we look at the critters and we look at everything, just like that song says, and we look at the ground that we tread on and the critters that God put here on the earth. What an amazing God that would create and design all of this and then draw lessons that would apply to our lives and help us appreciate His creation and appreciate His goodness to us. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and rise.